Today we are finishing up a four-week series. Got some great stuff planned in the next uh, couple weeks, and then a new series heading into the summer, too, that I'm excited about. Uh, but we're wrapping up this series called Stepping Up. We started out uh, talking about stepping up. We talked to our grads graduating into, into new seasons in life, and then we talked to parents, really, um, about influencing generations for God. What chair are you sitting in? Last week, we started a conversation on stepping up into being a people who really leans in and and listens for the voice of God that that leans in to hear from God and so today I want to continue that conversation and um, let me just say if you if you missed last week I encourage you to go back catch up either on our podcast audio or um, online you can catch up as well the video and if you missed it uh, we have a page on our website that isn't linked but if you type in lifegj.org forward slash resources I have one of my favorite books up there linked on hearing the voice of God and another talk that we did that talks a whole lot more about this. So check that all out. Now, before I get started uh, with the topic, let me just uh, say a true confession. I am not always a very good listener. Any other men care to admit to that too? I know women, you're usually a little better. Um, I'm pretty notorious. I'm like checking my email or, you know, looking for tube amps on uh, guitar amps on Craigslist or something. And my wife will be talking to me for minutes or a minute. She's got, we're married 16 years now, so she doesn't go as long anymore. She's learned. Um, and she'll be like, you weren't listening to me, were you? I'm like, yeah. What did you, what, what, what did I say last? And I can usually get out a word or two. Um, but, of course, that's not good enough. Right, ladies? Okay. Um, now, in defense of the male species, the BBC uh, says this. They did a study. It says a U.S. team at the University of Pennsylvania scanned the brains of nearly 1,000 men, women, boys, and girls and found striking differences. Male brains appeared to be wired front to back with a few connections bridging the two hemispheres. In females, the pathways crisscrossed between the left and the right. In other words, uh, men's brains are like waffles and little boxes. We stay in our little boxes, right? And women's brains are like spaghetti. So I'm a dude, so, you know, preoccupied. But on, honestly, the truth is, when it comes to listening, when it comes to listening to others, one of the reasons why we don't hear is because we're just preoccupied, right? We just have something else on our heart, something else on our brain, something else that's taking our attention, and so that's one way of really not listening. Another way of not listening is, is what your kids do. The, you can be in the house, you know, with, like, music going and stuff and just whisper, anybody want ice cream? And they come out of the woodwork, right? But then you, like, go, I want you to go brush your teeth and get ready for bed and climb into bed and 20 minutes later, you know, they're, they're out doing something. And you're like, what are you doing? I told you, oh, I didn't hear you. Really? You didn't hear. Okay. You didn't want to hear, did you? And when it comes to hearing God, you know, uh, so often the same thing is true. It's not that he's not speaking or communicating with us. It's that we're not wanting to tune in to what he's saying. The truth is this. God is the master communicator. God wants to speak to us in his word and in many other ways. The question is, do you have ears to hear him? The question is, are 
you listening? And so I've got three words. I'm going to throw them up right now, and then we're going to talk about them as we go through the scripture that we're going to look at today. The three words are these, comfortable, preoccupied, and unsurrendered. And if you're wondering, yes, that is a word. I looked it up in the dictionary. Preoccupied or comfortable, preoccupied, and unsurrendered. These are three things that can easily stop us from hearing what God wants to speak to us and stop us from closely following God and having a relationship with him, the kind of relationship he wants us to have. Now, on several different occasions in the New Testament, after Jesus, he'd be talking to a group of people, and he'd have, you know, maybe on a hillside, and he'd have this crowd around him, and his disciples close to him, and all these people, and he'd be talking to him and communicating, and when he finished up his message, he would say this profound thing. He would say, whoever has ears, let them hear, or if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, he's speaking this to a bunch of people with ears who have just been listening to him for the last hour. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying something a little bit different. He's saying, I have spoken here, but not everybody's actually going to hear the message behind what I'm communicating because not everyone is in a position to listen. Jesus was saying, my teaching is only for those really who are receptive to it. It's only going to benefit, be a benefit to those who accept it, to those who listen to it and put it into practice. In fact, at one point, he says, it's like the builder that builds the house upon the rock instead of the sand. Not going to do you any good if you don't put it into practice. So you have to both hear the words and then respond to what God is doing. Now, this isn't the only place we see Jesus saying something like this. One of, I think, the most interesting ones is in the very last book of the Bible. It's in the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation uh, was given to the Apostle John. Uh, We just did a three-week deep dive in the first chapter of the book of John. Really excited. Later, towards the school year, we're going to dive in and do a whole series through the Gospel of John. I'm excited about that. Um, But John, he's a very old man. They've tried to kill him. Um, They tried to martyr him by boiling him in oil, and it didn't work, which freaked them out. And so instead of trying again, they exiled him to this island out in the Mediterranean, the island of Patmos. And this was where he received uh, what we we know as the last book of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus, of things to come. And Jesus, in this, as he appears to John, he speaks, and seven times he's going to use this little phrase, whoever has ears to hear. If anyone has ears to hear. But instead of speaking to the ancient people of Israel, he's speaking to a different group of people. He's speaking to you and me. He's speaking to seven churches that actually were around when when this book was written in, in the Mediterranean Rim. But leaders and pastors and scholars have have pointed out how these messages roll on and apply over the centuries and over the millennia to you and I, followers of Jesus in churches today. And so today we're going to look at one of, it's called the seven letters to the seven churches. We're going to look at the last one in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And it starts out like this, to the angel, or uh, some people think this is, uh, angels just means messenger. So, so to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. 
And the church of Laodicea, it's the last of the seven churches that's addressed. It's located in modern-day Turkey. And so here's what he wants to say. These are the words of the amen. Isn't that an interesting way for Jesus to refer to himself? The amen. The, the word amen, it's a, it's a remarkable word. I think when we hear the word oftentimes, especially if you, you know, maybe grew up in a family that basically you, you prayed before dinner and then it was like, in Jesus' name, amen. And it was like, dig in, right? And you always grew up thinking just amen meant dig in. Let's eat. Um, <laughs> It actually uh, has a little different. It's a meeting of completion. But uh, one time at church, I remember growing up in this church I had, we had uh, on this one Sunday night, we did a, a hymn sing and a pie social. Sounds like a good idea to me. We talked about doing this here, like worship night and ice cream night. We'll do that some, someday, right? Uh, we're going to do that. Uh, but I remember I, I was into the pie especially and not so much into the hymns. And so I remember I was sitting out there with my, my buddy, who's uh, the pastor's son. We often got into a little mischief. And, uh, we, yeah, we were right at the end of this thing, and at least we wanted it to be the end because we wanted to eat pie. And so um, I stuck my hand up, and I requested, I'm like, hey, uh, could we sing number 742? And so um, the, uh, the hymn leader, like, flips over to 742, and he's like, okay, the sevenfold amen. I get the message, let's pray and go eat pie. And we did. It was awesome. We got to end the hymn, sing, go eat pie. Uh, so then the pastor, uh, my, my friend's dad, came up to me. He took my pie, and he made me go apologize uh, to the hymn leader. So anyway, uh, but amen means so much more than just let's eat. Really, it doesn't mean that at all. It mean, it, it, the idea is let it be. In fact, Jesus refers to himself as the amen. It, it's a word that was transliterated. It was taken directly from Hebrew into the Greek of the New Testament and then into Latin and into English and many other languages. So this is almost a universal word, amen or amen, all around the world you can go and, and speak this and people know what it is. And it's almost um, identical to the Hebrew word for believe or faithful. And so really it has this meaning of like sure or truly. It's an expression of absolute trust and confidence. So when you pray in Jesus' name, amen, it's actually supposed to be an expression of trust and confidence that you are praying to the one who has the power and the ability and the sovereignty to accomplish the thing you're actually praying about. And so Jesus says, this is, this is the one that can actually, the, I am the amen. I think it's powerful. And so here's what he goes on to say. Uh, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Verse 15. I know your deeds. And listen to what he says about this church. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Anybody ever, like... You set a, you know, a Chick-fil-A iced tea out on the dash, and it sat a little bit too long, and you came back, and you're like, it's just warm and nasty. And you're like, ew, none of you, okay. But that's the, the, that's the idea here. And Jesus said, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about ready to spit you out of my mouth. Or literally, in the Greek, spew or vomit. 
the English made it a little more polite. You make me want to spew, is what Jesus says here. He looks at these people lukewarm. Now, from history, we believe... um, we believe there's some compromise going. There was like this imperial, like worshiping the, the emperor thing that was, that was real prominent in the Mediterranean and in the Roman Empire at that time. And so we believe there's some compromise, some things going on there. But ultimately, the fact is for them that, that they, they were not passionate and committed to their savior. They were lukewarm. No, they believed in him. They showed up at church. They did the thing. But, but there was no intensity to their, to their faith. There was not a fervor to their faith that would actually impact their life and the way they lived and the choices that they made. And so Jesus refers to them as lukewarm, apathetic, basically, apathy. And one of, one of the primary things that keeps us from hearing God's voice is apathy. For followers of Jesus, apathy is one of the things that's so hard to do anything with. It's one of the things that keeps us from being in a position to listen to God. So I thought about my first word for you to remember um, being apathetic. But I think for so many, that like, seems like such a big word, easy to wiggle out of. And so I wanted to replace it with a word that I think really defines so many in the church, in our culture today, and that's this, comfortable. Comfortable. Just Comfortable. Life really isn't that hard. We live in basically the easiest time ever to live in history, in the wealthiest nation ever to exist in history, at least right now. It's not really that hard if I'm on a historical perspective. I know some of you are like, I'm really struggling right now, but compared to the world, most of you are in the 1% of the world. Most of us are when it comes to that. Comfortable. Just it's, it's not that hard. It's comfortable. Verse 17, Jesus goes on. Uh, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Comfortable. I don't, I don't really need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, Laodicea was a wealthy city during the Roman period. And not only uh, was Laodicea located on a major trade route that connected it to other important cities in the region, but it was also like a major textile production and banking center in the region. And so Jesus says, I I see, like, you, you've got it. And you say, look at what do we need? We've got it covered, we're comfortable. We're apathetic. And see, I think for so many churches in Western culture, and I think, honestly, um, this is a a real temptation, something we have to guard against in in our congregation because you guys are a bunch of really successful people, so many of you. You work hard. You've done well in life. And one of the biggest temptations is to become comfortable and to allow comfort to lead itself into apathy in our lives. Remember, um, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. When, when God sends the people into the promised land, He wasn't. He, the big thing he warned them about is, hey, when you get into the promised land and you get to live in all these houses and have it comfortable, be careful you don't forget God. 
Because the tendency is to begin to think, you know what? I don't really need God. Now, you would never say, I don't need God. But you begin to live like it. You begin to live like, you know, church community, yeah, it's nice, but it's just sort of a, you know, an extra optional kind of thing. The way we end up living communicates that I don't really need God. That I, that I am not desperate for God. Ask yourself, is, is, is there an awareness? In fact, for so many people, um, there's this big term, moral therapeutic deism, which basically is, I'm kind of good enough. I'm a pretty good person. I, I work hard. I you know, I give a little bit. I go to church. I'm a good American. And that tips the scale. And for so many people, there's not a, a deep understanding of what Jesus said. No, actually, you're bankrupt that there's a spiritually bankrupt thing going on. You desperately need grace. You desperately need the gospel. You need relationships, iron sharpening iron. You think you're strong. You think you've got it all together. You think you're sufficient within yourself. You're not, Jesus says. Stop fooling yourself. You're apathetic. You're lukewarm. You're comfortable. You know, I've traveled a lot around the world, and... um, one thing I've noticed in, in developing nations around the world, and I just noticed, keep noticing, is it just seems like there's a, uh, a more profound or a, a more clearly visible manifestation of God's power and God's activity so many times. I mean, sometimes it's in, it's in miracles. It's in different things you see, um, the spiritual realm. Sometimes that's in, you know, the manifestation of even the d- demonic realm, which I've experienced in Thailand and in different places, and the power of God moving in those situations. And I think one of the reasons that is, one of the reasons God so often works in more uh, surprising ways in poverty-stricken areas is, is people are desperate for him. They're not so comfortable. They recognize, I desperately need God. You know, in in our society, we have pretty much driven God out of any place except for here. You notice that? That for so many in our society, it's like God's place, go to church, have your little faith thing. You know, if you want to on the weekend, that's great, but don't bring it outside those doors. You you can leave that there. It's just something I see. We, we're pretty self-sufficient. We think we've got it all together. Comfortable. I also think this explains why so many people um, don't really connect with God on a deep personal level until they hit rock bottom in their lives. And in these situations, it's like, wow, then the Bible comes alive. Then they're aware of these spiritual things they were dead to before it's like something comes alive in them in the moment when they hit rock bottom. I've seen this in a lot of people. Um, a lot of times, uh, broken relationships do this. I have a, a friend that went through a real hard thing. And to see the work God's doing in his life, he made a really interesting comment. He's like, I would not never wish this on anyone, but I wouldn't trade the relationship, the place God's taken me for anything. And he's experienced that, where, where there was just sort of a, a numbness to a relationship with God before all of a sudden, because of his desperation for God, um, there's something in his heart that's come alive. I used to work uh, construction various times, and I remember we, they'd always like play classic rock out there, you know? Got any classic rock fans out there? And as I was writing this message yesterday, this song kept coming into my head, and I couldn't remember who it is. Um, 
so I had to look it up. But Pink Floyd, Comfortably Numb, yeah, it's got an epic guitar solo. You should listen to the live version. It's like, what? Anyway, epic. I like it. But it talks about this, you know, how in my younger days there was this fire in my soul, and now I've just kind of become comfortably numb as I've grown older. And I think that describes so many people, that in response to pain in life, because pain comes, so many people just sort of uh, activity away the pain, numb the pain, medicate the pain, distract the pain. And there's this thing in people's hearts where you just kind of become comfortably numb, numb to life. You're comfortable. It's not like you like it, but it's become comfortable to be numb. Comfort. Comfortable. Jesus says this, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Get something real, he says. Um, I've been to Vegas before, and it always strikes me when I go through Vegas of all these impressive buildings um, trying to be something they're not. You know, you've got like, you know, the Pyramid One, and then you've got the, the Roman Castle, you know, one, and the one with the fountains and all that. And what's interesting, you walk through these, and they're really impressive buildings, but they're all fake, basically. They're like, you know, there's a bunch of gold overlays, and it's all fake. And Jesus says, I counsel you to actually buy something real. Going to just print off trillions of dollars, you might want to buy something real with that, he says. <laughs> Just my thought, I don't know. But Jesus says here, but you've convinced yourself that what you've got going for you is the real deal. Jesus says, realize it's counterfeit, it's fake. It's like an overlay. It isn't the real stuff. There's a rottenness inside this whole thing. The way you've been living, the way you've been just, you know, numbing yourself and preoccupying yourself and all those things. Seek what's real. Get an eternal perspective. How fast these things are gone, how fast life goes. Stop pretending everything's okay. You're not okay. You know, there's things you can't fake in life, like real, genuine gospel community where you have those iron sharpening iron relationships with other people that challenge you, you can't fake that. It's easy to avoid it. But it's worth reaching out for. It's worth putting the work in to, to find that because that's the real stuff. That's the stuff that encourages you to grow in your faith. And we're developing. We've got opportunities to develop those kind of relationships here, and we're working on more, and we're working on discipleship and mentoring and women's ministry and men's ministry. Got stuff coming. But that's the kind of thing. Jesus says, I want you to, to get serious. Figure out what you got going on. Is it the real deal? And reach out for something that is. Verse 19, to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Turn around. Repent literally means just turn around. You're going this way. 
I want you to turn around and go in this direction. Be earnest. Be real about it. Don't just feel a little guilty and bad. Be real. Make a change. Be serious about what I have. You know, I'm reading this interesting book right now. Um, I'll tell you when I finish it if I recommend it, but it's really fascinating. It's called The Harbinger. Um, and what's interesting, I know some of you have probably read this, are, are some striking things that, uh, that happened in our nation around the time of 9-11 and stuff. That um, the, the question really that, that this guy is asking as he looks at some of these things that were happening is, um, and since, is how long can a nation that really was founded uniquely, that the founders, you know, the Puritans, saw it as a covenant with God. And this nation has experienced incredible blessing. How long can a nation continue to drive God out and go into wickedness and kill millions of babies, all these things, and expect to experience the blessing of God? And the conclusion is not very much longer. And God actually says, those who I rebuke, are those who I love, I discipline. I tell this to my kids sometimes. You probably do too. I have to discipline you because I love you. If I didn't love you, I'd let you do whatever you want. And so you're going to lose that thing or you're going to lose that opportunity. You're not going to get to do that. You're going to experience some pain because I'm trying to correct you. And it's a sobering thing. But Jesus says, guess what? Sometimes there are circumstances that come into our lives. A lot of times, uh, they're just God allows the natural circumstance of behavior to work itself out. Some of you are living in relationships or families or have friends. You've seen this. It's been heartbreaking. And just the natural... um, Outworking of sinful choices, unwise choices, works itself out. And sometimes it's that. But sometimes actually God will position and place things in your life to turn you and correct you. And so many times he will speak to you. If you're listening to what he's saying, he will speak to you ahead of that and give you opportunities to turn around. You want to listen to those. You want to take those. Verse 20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now this is like the classic um, salvation text, invitation to relationship with God. This is the classic text of Jesus says, hey, I'm standing at the door. I want to invite you into relationship with me. See, um, in this culture, as he stands at the door and knocks and calls out, hey, anybody home there? Hey, Fred, are you inside? Joe, you there? Want to come in? And Jesus says, if anyone opens the door, I'll come in and eat with them, which is an incredibly intimate thing in this culture. I mean, even in our culture, like to sit in somebody's living room is more intimate than, you know, going out to a restaurant, right? We get that. In this culture, it's an extremely intimate thing to go in and have a meal with someone. He's saying, I want relationship with you, and I'm standing outside the door and knocking, and if you just open the door, I'll come in and have relationship with you. Now, here's what I want to point out about this. 
So many times we just read this scripture in the context of like inviting someone for the first time into relationship with Jesus. Accept Jesus. Follow Jesus. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. I think that's a good application of this, but this scripture is actually written to the church. It's written to a bunch of people that, you know, probably many have genuinely trusted in Jesus. He says they're lukewarm. But it's written to a bunch of people in here. And Jesus says, I want to have relationship with you. See, you're comfortable. And the second word is this preoccupied. Preoccupied. You want to hear from God? You want to experience God in your life? One of the biggest obstacles is just that being preoccupied like me, you know, when my wife's trying to talk to me. Preoccupied. And I think in, in our congregation, in our society, our culture, man, it is so easy just to be busy and preoccupied 24-7, isn't it? If you're not sleeping, you're rushing from one place to another. You've got a device in your hands. You're just preoccupied. And it's so easy to miss out on the relationship uh, that Jesus wants to have with you. See, the point of the scripture is I want to have a relationship with you. I want to come in. Let's eat together. Let's talk. There's this beautiful picture. I want to have a relationship. But you're just running around. I'm standing out here at the door, and you're not even answering the door. I'm calling, hey, you home? Knock, 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 and nobody's coming to the door. You got too much to do. Too busy rushing around. You're preoccupied. We're so busy. We're so distracted. And for, for many of us, I think the hard part is you're like, yeah, but what, what do I do about it? Well, for some, the answer is you just you need to take an honest look at your schedule and you need to make sure that your life isn't so crowded that you have no margin for relationship with others or relationship with God or relationship with your brothers and sisters who can encourage you in your relationship with God. And some of you, that's, that's the issue. In, in the goal to be more successful, in the goal to get more done or see your kids have the greatest opportunities, you don't want to miss everything. It's good reasons. They're all good reasons. But in the, in the pursuit of all that, you've crowded so much into your life that there's just no space to breathe. There's no time to experience relationship with God and with other people. There's no time just to be still. Like he says, be still and know that I'm God. So part of it, that's, that's the issue. And I think sometimes the issue, too, for, for many is... is God, you know, I, okay, God needs to be number one priority in my life. And then, you know, there's family and then there's, there's country, you know, and job and all those things, you know, whatever order those fall. And then I get to, you know, all the other stuff and, and you've got it all dialed in. But in your head, it's like a checklist. And if you can just check off your God time, got it done, check off church, check off, you know, for some that are really disciplined, you're like, I get up, I, you know, read my Bible for 15 minutes and pray in the morning um, before I rush off to the rest of my day. If you do that every day consistently, awesome. Keep it up. Then there's other people that aren't so disciplined. And you just feel guilty because you get to the end of the day and you're like, I didn't get it done today. The other side, you, you tend to feel smug. I got it done. Checked it off. But either side, it's easy not to let it be relationship. What if Jesus wants to have lunch with you? Relationship. That's the point. That's the heart behind what he's saying. I think a, I think a better way, and this was really helpful. I learned this 
um, a few years ago from, from another pastor from a book he wrote. That instead of thinking of your relationship with God as a priority, as something in your life you check off and move on with the rest of your day, as, even as the number one priority, think of your relationship with God as like the hub of a wagon wheel. And it's the hub that everything else rotates around. And sometimes, you know, you'll, soccer will be up at the top and run into volleyball. And, and sometimes, you know, um, work will be at the top and you have a conference or whatever. Recreation, family time. But it all needs to center around your relationship with God. It's something that happens all throughout the day. It's a difference of mindset, but it's a profound and powerful difference of mindset when it comes to relating to God. And so sometimes it's an issue that you're just, you've got too much going. Or sometimes it's an issue that you just see relationship with God as a checklist to check off. But sometimes it's just that we only pursue God when, when we need something from him. Otherwise, we're completely preoccupied with our own stuff. So you pursue God when you need, you got a big decision or something you need to, to make. Then you pray and you ask to hear from him, but you never, we talked about this last week. But other than that, you just don't pause and ask the Lord or listen to him. When you do pray, it's just a, like a laundry list. God, bless them, do this, do this, do this, bless me today. Lord, okay, peace out, we'll catch up later. Instead of saying, Lord, what do you have? Let me be attentive, what's your agenda? That's why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's not just a prayer, it's an attitude we're to live with. And it's that attitude more than anything else that positions us to hear from God in a genuine way. When we become centered on what he's doing, when he's the center, not just of our day, but of our agendas. When it's really a your kingdom come kind of life we're living. Jesus goes on and he wraps up this little letter to this church this way. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Powerful statement. There will be a reward for being faithful and living in close relationship with me. For not compromising for not allowing another God to come before me, to not abandoning faith. There's reward. Verse 22, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's that phrase. He repeats it seven times. Seven times. Whoever has ears echoes back to all the times in the Gospels. Jesus would say, whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone has ears, let them hear. You know, when Jesus says this here, and when he says it back in the Gospels, he's quoting from an Old Testament prophet. He's quoting from the prophet Ezekiel, who, who said this. He's speaking to the prophet. He said, you are living, God is speaking to the prophet. You are living among a rebellious people, and they have eyes to see, but do not see, and ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are a rebellious people. This is like this time where you know your kid actually heard the words, but they didn't hear it because their heart was in a different place. And we as God's kids, the third thing, the third word I want you to remember that will 
that'll devastate your relationship with God and hearing God and what he wants to do in your life is this unsurrendered, unsurrendered. If you're living a life that's not surrendered to him. And God points out to Ezekiel that when people have their backs turned on God, they hear the words, but they don't hear from God. That's why Jesus so often would say, hey, this this teaching is for those who are tuned and turned in my direction, who are positioned to hear in their hearts, whose hearts are oriented towards me, that they, they would actually hear the things that I'm saying and not just hear them, but put them into practice, that they would obey them. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, Jesus says. My words are for those who are open and receptive. Those are the ones who receive benefit from hearing my voice. Otherwise, you can hear it, but you're, you're not getting any benefit out of it. You're not experiencing any closer relationship from it. If you have an area in your life where you're just not surrendered, where you know God over and over says, hey, you need to surrender this area. And it's scary. Sometimes surrendering to God feels like writing a blank check with our life. And you know what? That's true. Sometimes it feels scary. But it's the best way to live. It's the freest, most joyful way to live is saying, God, my life is yours. My future is yours. My stuff is yours. God, tell me what you want me to do, and I'll listen. Lord, you've set me on this course. I'm going to be faithful unless I hear a different message. But as I go about this direction, tune my heart to living my life for your kingdom. I'm surrendered to you. Today is yours. Man, if we all live like that on a daily basis... How would that change our world? I think it would. Surrendered. I have a friend named Jason. Um, he met his wife. He, he sits out here on a Saturday night. He met his wife at, at age 24. And for a whole period of time, he'd been on large quantities of, of over-the-counter speed, basically, for, for, for years, for eight or nine years. At one point, he emptied out his checking and savings, and his wife finally had enough and left him. And he thought, oh, well, I don't need her anyway. It was that far um, in, a, in such a deep, dark place. And one of these days, he was, he was laying on the floor, and he felt this sharp pain coming over his body. And he actually heard an audible voice speak out these words, me or else. See, sometimes God's listening or God's speaking. And sometimes it takes getting to rock bottom to actually hear him. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. In that moment, in that moment, um, my friend turned his life over. He surrendered to God. And God did powerful things in his life. He's still serving God today. Great family. God actually completely delivered him, this is his story, from from the cravings and the desire, brought freedom in his life. But in that moment, just like in any moment when God is speaking to you, you have to choose, am I going to obey? Am I going to surrender in this area? Or am I just going to keep going my way? Do you want to be a person that hears from God and not just hears, but experiences what he has for you. The joy of knowing your life was was lived for his kingdom in the way that he intended. You're going to only do that if you were willing to surrender your life to him. I want to invite Winston up. We're going to close in a song.
And as he comes up, let me just ask, are you listening? God is speaking. He speaks in his word. He speaks in all kinds of different ways. We talked about that. He's speaking to you through his Holy Spirit about people he wants you to reach, about things he's asking you to pay attention to, about things he's asking you to adjust, maybe about things he's asking you to completely turn around to repent of and go in a different direction. Are you listening? Can you hear him? Are you positioning yourself to listen? You know, if you've ever been to the beach, it's an interesting phenomenon when there's like a bunch of wind and stuff coming. Like when it's blowing the right direction, you can actually be positioned towards the ocean and hear the roar. And then when you turn the other way, not hear it. It's like that in our relationship with God. The Holy Spirit is, is like a wind blowing in our lives. If you're not positioned correctly to hear him, you're not going to hear him. And these three things are things that are dangerous when it comes to hearing from God in your life. Are you too comfortable? Have you, have you allowed comfort to turn into apathy? Are you just so preoccupied that you can't hear him? Is there an area in your life that's just all about self, self-centered? That'll keep you from hearing him. Is there something you're not surrendering to him? Is there an area you need to surrender? God may be speaking to you right now, but the question is, are you, are you listening? Are you ready to obey? Would you stand? We're going to sing this little song, and as we do, I want to encourage you. Wherever you're at, maybe you need to stand. Maybe you need to sit. That's fine, too. Um, maybe you just need to pray. Maybe there's something in your life you know God's just been, every time you pray, that's the thing he wants to talk about. And some of you, maybe you stop praying because of that. Maybe today would be the day you surrender that and move into the freedom he wants you to experience.